I, I often get anxious before I, I, I talk in church, kind of nerves, the way most people probably would. Um, and this morning I was kind of a wee bit worried, because that's what I do. Um, and lots of people have prayed for me, so either you're really worried too. Uh, <laughs> I would just like to thank all of those who've come up, put their arm around me and prayed for me. I said, just this morning I better pray. Um, and that, that's been really nice. It really has, because it's kind of made me feel like it's not all my fault. Now, we've been looking through Ephesians for quite some time here at Vineyard. I can't remember when we started, but it seems like many, many years ago. Uh, We're now in chapter 5. Now, just by way of a very quick introduction, I've done this before, but if you've not been here before and if you're a little bit unfamiliar with the Bible, Ephesians uh, is a place in Turkey nowadays. I think it was in Turkey then as well, but I'm not quite sure what the geography was then. Um, and there was a little church there which had just started, and a guy called Paul, who wrote big chunks of the New Testament in the Bible, wrote them a letter to encourage them, just to kind of tell them how to be church, how to be family, how to do it right, maybe one or two things to stop doing, because that was not a good idea. Um, and we were just looking at this, and we are working our way through, uh, and we are hoping to find, find things that we can learn, which will be good for us. So, Ephesians chapter 5, now my notes will basically be up on the screen, could we, ha- could we have the words up on the big screen. Um, now, it's verses 1 to 7 we'll be looking at. They don't all fit on at once. Um, I know what words you've all just zoomed in on. Um, and yeah, we're going to talk about that this morning. Um, so if you're of a squeamish disposition, I'm sorry. Uh, but we're going to talk about stuff that maybe we would rather not, but never mind. We will do it. Um, and there'll be more, obviously, because that's not all seven verses. They'll pop up, hopefully, as I get to them. Okay, can anyone do an imitation? Andy, Andy, come here, come on. Do an imitation. I know you're, you're always doing, you do a wonderful Indian impersonation, but you claim it's Scottish. Um. <laughs> right, does anyone remember Mike Yarwood? Now, I'm really kind of uh, showing my age here. Mike Yarwood, remember him? Dennis Healy. And... Um, what was the other one you used to do? Uh, Frank Spencer and all these kind of things. That was a kind of golden age, if you're my age at any rate, of impersonations. Who are the, the kind of really cool impersonators now? Is it, um, there's Rory Bremner, there's the Dead Ringers guy, what's his name? I can't remember his name. Sorry? John Colshaw, who does an incredibly good uh, William Hague. I think we, we, there'll be a, a kind of series of cultural references posted on the website after this. So if you're young, you can think, who are they talking about? Um, you, you'll get it, don't worry, ask your mum. Okay, so, how do you imitate somebody? Now, I remember listening to various imitators or impressionists on the telly at various points, um, and they would say, well, you have to kind of study somebody. You have to look at their little idiosyncrasies. You have to watch how they walk, how they talk, how they breathe, how they react to certain situations. You have to get into the, the, the minutia of the way they, they behave, their character. And then once you've got that, you sometimes or other you just get a hook. And all of a sudden you've got it and you can do a really good impersonation of somebody. You can imitate them. So, Paul opens this this chapter. I I love the way the Bible does understatement. If I was writing the Bible and I was speaking to a church who had just started, instead of saying imitate God, I'd have given people an easier thing. I used to be a teacher, so you always give give everybody something accessible that everybody can do, and then you work your way up. So everybody can do this. Most of you can do this. Some of you can do this. But Paul just kind of goes, right, everybody imitate God. 
take the supreme being, the most powerful force in the universe, who created everything, who is by very nature love and life. Imitate him. Now, I just started with, imitate a cat. <laughs> you know, can we all do a cat? Meow. There we go. Right, let's do a dog. And then we work our way up. But no, Paul just goes straight in there. Now, Paul was in prison. So clearly he had a slightly different agenda. He was maybe in a bit more of a rush. Maybe if he wasn't in prison, he would have started with cat and worked his way up. Who knows? Anyway, imitate God, therefore. And he doesn't just say imitate God. Like that, that's kind of, oh, just imitate God. That's easy. He says, in everything you do. No, not just on a Sunday morning when there's people watching, but in everything you do. Like tomorrow morning at half past seven or seven o'clock or half past six in the morning where you're dragging your sorry self out of bed muttering obscenities under your breath about how you haven't had a decent night's sleep because the cat kept you awake or the children were keeping you awake or you had something to eat last night and it hasn't agreed with you and you've got work to do and that's so-and-so at work hasn't done that thing they said they were going to do and now you're stuffed with a whole week and it's already Monday morning and you're miserable. In everything you do, even at that time of day, that's the litmus test, isn't it? I mean, it's dead easy to do it today. After, the, after what we've just experienced this morning, I mean, who's not high? Who's not already and then all of a sudden, Monday morning hits you like a ton of bricks. Imitate God in everything you do. And I love, the, again, super, super simplicity. He doesn't give you a big highfalutin theological reason of why you should do this. He just says, because you are his dear children. Sit. You are his dear children. Dear is a kind of funny word. It's a weird word. It's the kind of word we address strangers with in letters. You know, you write to your bank manager, you write, you write to your utility supplier, you write to the man down the road whose dog has pooed in your garden, and you address him as dear, when you mean anything but dear children. I love that expression, just to be somebody's dear child, to be sat on somebody's knee and loved just because you are you. Dear children, dear child. It's like that in itself. I sit down now. You are God's dear children. You learn nothing else today. Take that one home. Dear children. Anyway, okay, so imitate God therefore and everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love. Paul has really high expectations of the Ephesians and obviously of us too. Live a life filled with love. You know, most of us can live a life occasionally speckled or flavoured or sprinkled with love. Most of us can live a life where love is quite a big part, quite often. Most of us can live a life where our lives are kind of full, maybe to about here, with love, and the rest of it's some kind of important stuff. You know, it's work, it's family, it's business, it's payments, it's all that kind of stuff. Paul just says, live a life filled with love, right to the top. I don't know how many of you came in this morning feeling empty. If you dare, you could put your hand up, but I'm not going to ask you to. Some of us maybe came in this morning feeling that there was nothing left. We ran out. And I hope all the stuff that we've already done this morning has filled you up. It's filled me up. It's been wonderful this morning just to be in the presence of God and you guys and worship together and see what God is doing. But we need to be filled with love. And we have to follow the example of Christ. And then he goes on to explain what Jesus did. 
And this is really good. We can't imitate God sometimes because it's a bit hard because he's big and he's invisible and he's powerful and he's so huge and he's so big. You can think, well, how do, how do I just speak planets into being? How, how, do, how do I just make a world? How, how do you do that? He said, oh, you don't need to do that. Just follow the example of Jesus and then you can imitate God. You say, okay, what did Jesus do? Okay, <laughs> that'll be easier. Don't need to make planets. I can just do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Jesus loved us. Okay. And offered himself as a sacrifice for us. A pleasing aroma to God. I never quite got the pleasing aroma to God. I never quite understood why God is so into smells. If you read through the Old Testament, there's a lot of smells. And I suddenly realized, right, okay, we talk about smells a lot. You know, how do you sell a house? You fill it full of fresh coffee. You fill it full of the smell of baking or flowers. It makes a place more beautiful. It makes it more desirable. It makes it a lovelier place to be. You go into a place that smells bad, you kind of go, oh, doesn't matter what it looks like. My son, when we're driving, you know when you're driving in the summertime and it's warm, you've got the windows open, and occasionally agricultural odours waft into the car. And my son, nasty wee boy, he will say, when you're driving along the road, he'll say, can you smell chips? And we all kind of go, smell can make a huge difference to the atmosphere. And when Jesus died, when Jesus sacrificed himself for us, it made heaven beautiful. And then we go to the stuff that we've been trying to avoid. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. Okay. I'm serious a bit. I don't know if you're imagining the Ephesians gathered round in Ephesus, which is where they lived. That's why they were called Ephesians. Um, and they're thinking, oh, Paul's written us a letter. A letter. Love it when we get a letter. Because they didn't have email in those days, you know. No. Um, and they'd be gathered round. Paul's written a letter. He's written it to us. Dear Ephesians, it says at the top. And you open up. And they're reading it through. And this is really nice. This is really nice. And then all of a sudden they get to this bit. And they're kind of thinking... Paul doesn't think a great deal of us, does he? He's just told us we should live a life filled with love and we should do this. And then he launches into this stuff about bad behaviour. Like somehow or other he thinks very poorly of us. Could we maybe just go back one slide? Is it one slide? No, and another one? Yeah. Let there be no... Right, and he goes straight into it. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh dear, we're going to get tutted that loud and, and clearly... The church has a big problem with other people's sex lives, always seems to have done. Um, and I'm not going to go into the nitty-gritty of all of this this morning, because we don't have time. And there are other things in this list as well. We tend to zoom in on the one thing and get fixated on that. But we're going to look at a few things. And we're going to look a little bit more 
at really how do we follow the example of Jesus in this regard. This is what Paul's telling us. If we want to live a life full of love, if we want to imitate God, we've got to do what Jesus did. So when it comes to things like sexual immorality, impurity, greed, and all the rest of these things, we have to think about what would Jesus do. I don't know how many of you ever had a bangle or a bracelet or one of these rubber band things you wear around your wrist that said, what would Jesus do? Anybody got one? Anybody got one on? Yes? Okay. I don't know what it, what it means to you to wear these things, um, but it's a really, really good way to live. What would Jesus do? You know, just before you're about to do something, what would Jesus do? So we're going to look a little bit at these three things. So, it's easy when you say it quickly, live a life with love and don't do the stupid stuff, and that way you'll imitate God. There you go, easy, done, let's sit down. It's not that easy, and we all know it's not as easy. So, sexual immorality, follow the example of Jesus. What did Jesus say? I'm going to read you some Bible verses. Matthew 5:28. Anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery. Jesus was so far ahead of the hashtag MeToo movement. But if that woman wouldn't reciprocate your desire, wouldn't welcome it, or consent to it, it's not adultery you're committing in your mind. And of course, this is not just a male issue. We've been just been getting away with it for longer. Impurity. Follow the example of Jesus. What did Jesus say? Matthew 5 and 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And in Matthew 15 and 8, he quoted Isaiah. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Dishonesty, hypocrisy, double standards, ulterior motives, secrecy, deceit, trying to con God that you're something that you're not. Greed. Follow the example of Jesus. What did he say? Luke twelve fifteen. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Mark eight thirty six. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? but lose your own soul. Jesus is unequivocal about greed. Less is definitely more. Now, it's funny. You meet a lot of people in the modern evangelical church, churches like this and other churches like it, who kind of give you the impression that the Old Testament was really strict, really hard, really difficult, impossible to do, and that Jesus came along and made it all much easier kind of took away some of the strictness, took away some of the rules, took away some of the hard bits and just kind of, ah, it's fine, I love everybody. Don't worry about it, it'll be fine. But actually, when Jesus came, he, he didn't do away with an awful lot of stuff. And actually, in fact, he cranked it up. He took the don't do and turned it into don't even imagine doing it. He took the follow the rules and you'll be okay and made it love the rule maker with all your heart. He took prosperity equals good and made it give it all away. But he didn't make the Old Testament palatable. He didn't make the Old Testament easier. He made it harder. He's very good at that right enough because he's kind of made the rest of us think he's actually done it the other way around. He's actually made it harder. 
And that might make you think this morning, oh, crikey, here we go again. I'm going to church and I'm going to leave with a guilt trip. That is not my intention. It's not our intention at all. And it wasn't Jesus' intention at all. The intention was to give us hope. The intention was to give us a prospect of something so much better than the way we're living. But to remind us of how far maybe we are away from God and where we need to go and journey. So, how are we supposed to do this? How do you follow the example of Jesus? How do you follow the example of Jesus when it comes to these kind of things we've been talking about? Some tips. I'm very practical. I hate when you go to church and somebody gives you airy-fairy stuff about just, just trust God. And that's nice. I do trust God. But I need to know what decision to make tomorrow morning about that thing. And I could really do with a postcard that explains to me how that thing's going to work out in some kind of detail with options. Okay? So I'm going to try my best to explain maybe one or two things which I think work, and they might work for you as well, in terms of how do you cope with the stuff how do you cope with the distance you are at the minute and where you want to be with your relationship to God? Okay. Because there is one exceptionally good verse. Can we move forward a slide? I think it's one slide. Yeah, there it is. Just the tail end of verse 4. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. So instead of all that stuff, instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Now, I want, it's marvellous that next week's Thanksgiving, I didn't realise that next week is Thanksgiving, because that's brilliant, that just kind of, you know, think of all the good things, all the things you're thankful for. Thankfulness is so important in dealing with the stuff that we find so difficult to do, because we all have those thoughts that pop into our head in an instant, and you can't do anything about them, and you think, whoa, I shouldn't have thought that. We've all been there, we've all seen somebody else with something shiny and nice, and we thought, oh, I would like that. And occasionally we think, I wish they didn't have that. And we want it the other way around. And we've all tried to maybe lie or deceive or cheat a little bit, tell it, spin it a wee bit just so that we get come out looking better or all that. All of these things, that's the struggle of being human. All the time we struggle with sexual immorality. We struggle with impurity. We struggle with greed. We want stuff we shouldn't have. So how can we find ways to work through this? Okay, here's a few ideas. Whenever you're tempted to do the wrong thing with the wrong person, thank God for them. That they are made in his image. You're not looking at that pretty girl or that lovely boy or that whatever. You're looking at the image of God. Thank God that that person is made in the image of God and that God loves that person fiercely, just like he loves you. Whenever you think about telling a little white lie or a little untruth, whether it's a big one or a bad one, thank God for the person you're about to deceive. Thank God that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Whenever you think about stuff that someone else has or that have nicer stuff than you or stuff that you want, thank God for what you have. That sounds awfully much like counting your blessings like we used to learn when we were little. It's true. Thank God for what you've got and then ask him how he wants you to give it away. Generosity is the antidote to greed. Definitely. And that's not just from somebody else's point of view. That's from your own point of view. If you want to deal with the greed that's in your own heart, start being generous. Start giving it away. And all of a sudden, the greed will go with it. 
So that's three little practical hints, I think. Thank God for the people you might have a sexual issue with. They are made in the image of God. God loves them fiercely. And he wants to protect them as much as he wants to protect and love you. Thank God for the people you are trying to deceive or that you might try to just pull a fast one on to get an advantage on because he loves them too. And Jesus is truth. And he's placed that in your heart. And whenever you think about stuff that you want and you want more stuff, not because you need it, just because you want it or you want somebody else not to have it, which is the worst kind of greed, just ask God, how can I give this away? How can I bless somebody else with this? Now that's quite simple. I didn't say it was easy. But it's quite simple. It's all about shifting our focus and attention away from us and our inclinations to do the wrong thing and onto God and his determination to see the right thing. I really quite like I came out with that myself. I was quite good. quite proud of myself when I came up with that. I think God whispered that one in my ear. So I'm going to say it again in case you want to put it on a postcard or stick it on Instagram this afternoon. It's about shifting our focus and attention away from ourselves and our inclination to do the wrong thing and onto God and his determination to do the right thing. God is not a passive bystander in your life. He's not somebody that stands at the sides kind of going, well, I hope he does the right thing. Oh, he's done the wrong thing. Oh, dear. He is determined to see you blessed. He's determined to see you better. He is determined to see you live in a life that honors him and makes you a better person because he wants you to become like Jesus, which is the whole start of this whole thing. He wants you to imitate him by being more like his son, Jesus. Now, remember what Jesus did. Jesus sacrificed. Jesus died. Jesus poured it all out for people. He might ask you to do that too. But he'll always give you more, no matter how much you've poured out. Some of us maybe this morning felt we had poured it all out. God is endlessly filling you back up again. Just open it all up. Now the next time we talk, we're going to look at the uh, the next bit of Ephesians. And we're going to look at a life filled with life. Because this might sound like we're kind of ending slightly down, but we're not. Because there is life and there is light and there is hope. We kind of finished in the middle of this and it feels like we're maybe stuck in the middle of a struggle. We're stuck in the middle of something. I can't do this. This is hard. But remember, you are dear children. You are loved. You are family. And you can do this. And you have the Holy Spirit that dwells with you. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, if you have yet to figure out who Jesus is and what he wants for your life and how awesome it's going to be if you accept him, then you need to do that today as well. You need to say, yes, Jesus, I can't do the sexual immorality thing on my own. I can't do impurity. I can't be pure. I can't not be greedy. I can't not do all of these things. It's just a struggle and I'm always losing. I'm always coming up short. I'm always thinking, this is just not working. There is so much life and so much hope in Jesus. He can give you the strength. He can give you the power to overcome these things. Not to make you perfect, not yet, at any rate. But he'll give you the tools you need to get better, to keep getting better, to love people that are made in his image, to not desire things from other people and to take them for them, not to lie and to cheat and all the rest of it. It's a kind of basic human stuff. People have been doing this since people walked. And yet it's still a problem for us today. So... We've, we've had a bit of ministry already this morning, but I, I think it's important that we have an opportunity to, 
just to maybe do some business with God this morning about where we're at. I don't, I don't want to know what's going on in your life. I don't need to know all the nitty-gritty nitty details. There will be people in here who maybe are struggling with some of these things we've talked about. Because we're all human beings and we probably all do to some extent or another. And it's not for us to air anybody else's dirty washing. If you want to get some help with this, if you want hope, if you want a bit of life and light in your life, if you want your life to be full of love, Instead of guilt, if you want all of that filled up, Ricky, when he was here for the very first time, did that thing with the, the glass. Remember? And the glass was full of all the kind of yuck in life. And then Jesus just keeps pouring love in, just keeps pouring grace in, just keeps pouring hope in, just keeps pouring generosity in, just keeps pouring unconditional love. And eventually, all the bad stuff just gets expelled. That's what you need today. I think, I think we need to do something about that. If that's you, what we do? Do we want to stand where we're at or do we want to come to the front? Yeah. If, if you want, if, you, if anything, from the littlest degree to the biggest degree, right? Again, nobody's judging, nobody's making, keeping score about who the biggest sinner is, because let's face it, we're all kind of in the same level there. If you think there's something God needs to, to talk to you about this morning, stand up. And we'll get people to pray with you, wherever you are. Right, okay. So am I. Maybe we should all stand up then, okay. Yes. Perhaps this is one of these things where people don't necessarily want to stand out. That's fair enough. We're all going to close our eyes. We're going to pray. If you would like somebody to pray with you, just put your hand up quietly. Someone will see you. Pop round, put an arm in your hand, and we'll pray. Father God, we are told to imitate you, and we're told to do that by following the example of Jesus and the way he loved his friends, the way he loved the people he was with, the way he loved the least and the lost and the loneliest. And for some of us, Father, we feel in a similar boat this morning. We just find it very, very difficult. Our desires to love with purity and goodness and selflessness just keep getting bent out of shape by desires that we don't want to have. But Father, we just lay all of that stuff down, all that rubbish that's getting in the way of seeing our lives filled with love. And we ask you, Lord, now to fill us. Fill us with love. We can't do this on our own. We can try. We can struggle. We can keep falling short and do it. You can fill us with love, Father, and we ask that. So if that's you, if you want to be filled with love, just put your hands out, assume the position. If you see somebody who looks like they could do with somebody praying for them, move across the room and pray with them. Father God, Holy Spirit, Fill us with light and with love. The stuff that we think is an obstacle to ever meeting properly with you, the stuff that we think we have to deal with on our own before you will accept us, the stuff that we think is just an irremovable barrier between us and our loving Heavenly Father, Lord, just sweep that away right now. 
you love us. You love us just as we are, the way we came in this morning. You want us to be better. You want us to be more and more like Jesus. But you love us because we are your dear children. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Transform us. We prayed this morning before we started that we would see redemption happen this morning. We didn't want anybody to come in here and leave feeling full of guilt or remorse or regret. We want people to leave this morning feeling full of love, restored, redeemed, and loved as a dear child of God.